Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every week, me and Miss Boo take turns picking films to watch and talk about. Some are good, some are bad, but they are always fun at the Film Club. Boo, how are you? I'm good, because it's my pick today, and you also made a mistake in your intro. Mm-hmm. We're the Horror Club, remember? Well, we were the Horror Club, but tonight we welcome you to Fright, Fright Night. Night. I'm really glad about that. That one, that was good. That was a good one. We didn't practice that at all. <sighs> mm, solid. But yeah, so that's what we're talking about tonight, right? Yes, we are. From 1985. Doesn't get more 80s than that. It does not. 85 gave us, uh, you know, Back to the Future and Rocky 4. Some <laughs> of the most 80s movies you can think of. I love both of those movies. <sighs> it, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. But yeah, and uh, we have Fright Night here, which... Stars Chris Sarandon, Roddy McDowell, and Will. Uh, God, I, I'm trying to remember his last <laughs> name. I'm sorry. It's one of those last names that is just like really weird to pronounce. Ragsdale. Ragsdale. Yeah. And Amanda Bierce from Married with Married Children. Children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a yeah. There's actually a lot of like recognizable actors in this that are kind of surprising a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I mean. Yeah think about it you know lots of horror movies that's where people get their starts Mm. or this is where they get that push into bigger projects films yeah i i feel like chris sarandon and roddy mcdowell were already known actors Mm -hmm. at this point Uh, i mean granted you know uh they're uh, they're in the movie a lot but i don't know how how long their shooting days were so yeah neither here nor there that and i don't know if this came out before princess bride or after princess bride i believe it was before princess bride okay yeah and then uh well let's let's just talk about the normal movies so we don't just get bogged down by the years and in actors and all that stuff so fright night your yes, pick my pick one of my favorite movies really yeah oh i didn't know that oh yeah this is on the list i mean the list is ever growing but mm-hmm. It's pretty high up there. Really? All yes. right. All right. Uh, well, when did you see it first? Why is it your favorite, oh, I guess? I don't remember the first time I saw it. I had to have been a kid. Mm-hmm. My mom showed it to me because it's a movie that she really enjoys. And it just kind of blew my mind of, okay, the vampire moves in next door. And it's the, the story of the boy who cried wolf. No one believes me that there's a vampire next door killing prostitutes and just about anybody that's coming into his path now oh yeah and it's uh it actually is a really interesting story because it's so simple in concept Mm -hmm. but it's it's really funny it's really funny how it plays out because this is billed as a horror comedy yeah and i think out of all horror horror comedy is probably my favorite genre well isn't isn't comedy well okay i know horror is your favorite genre And then, like, comedy is your next favorite Comedy's, genre. like, right beneath it. And it, when you get the two of them together in one, mm-hmm. it's perfection for me. Oh, yeah. I gotcha. All right. So, where do you want to get started with this one? Oh, jeez. There's so many avenues that we could take. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to tell everybody that funny story that we talked about a oh. little bit in the, our last episode. About the first time I ever saw Fright Night. That was the first time you saw Fright Night? First time I ever saw the movie. Wow, I thought you would have watched it, like, you know, growing up, like I did. No, this, well, this movie, I don't know how popular it is, because I've always known it as a, oh, it's one of those cult yeah. movies, and I remember it not being on TV, but every time you'd go to, like, a video store or whatever mm-hmm. around the Halloween time, it's yeah. always, like, 
here's Halloween, Fright Night, mm-hmm. Jason, Freddy, whatever. Lost Boys. Lost Boys is another one. This and Lost Boys it, are very... Not, okay, they're not like similar movies in any they vein, go hand but in hand. they go hand in hand really well. They have comedy. The the vampires are vampires. Mm-hmm. There's no sugarcoating it, and they're good looking men. But once they turn into vampires, it's like holy shit! Big yikes! I, I wouldn't want to be near them in a empty alleyway. Yeah, it is interesting because I've seen I've seen Lost Boys before. Yeah, uh, I've seen all the other. Probably all the other big 80s horror movies, at least the ones I can think of off the top of my head. But no, this one I just never saw before. Interesting. And then, I think it was two years ago now? Three? (sighs) Maybe three. I was still waiting tables. Yeah. So it was a couple years ago, and my buddy Reggie says, hey, we're doing a showing at the Frida Cinema, which is this revival art house theater in Santa Ana. Awesome theater. Go if you have a chance. Very good theater. Highly recommended. And there, they're going to have an interview with Tom Holland, a Q&A afterwards. Mm-hmm. Now, me being kind of dumb and not realizing who Tom Holland was, I assumed he meant Tom Holland, the actor who played Spider-Man. Yes. And I was like... That's weird. And I made the comment to him. I was like, wait, Spider-Man's going to be here? Or Spider-Man's going to be there? And Reggie's like, oh, yeah, yeah, dude. Totally, totally. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, wait, I got to go do something. I'll be right back. And he, and he walks away. He doesn't explain to me that Tom Holland is the name of the director of the film, who is not Spider-Man. And this is when we cut to Dean texting me at work because he wanted me to go with him to the screening. And I couldn't because... It work. was a work night. They weren't going to let me go. And he was like, boo, you're missing out. You're not only not going to see the movie, but I'm going to see Spider-Man in person. And I'm like, Spider-Man's going to be there. And I'm, I'm thinking, so I'm like, is he a guest? Is he watching the movie too? And you're like, no, nah, he's here to, you know, talk after the movie. And I'm like, well, that's weird. Why would Tom Holland I was... talk about Fright Night after the movie? So my dumbass was under the assumption that he was either a huge fan of the movie or... There was going to be a remake or a sequel or something that he was going to be involved in. And this was, like, on that media tour. That was my assumption. Mm-hmm. And I found out about this, like, that like that morning of the showing. So I had no time to, like, actually think about it. But I gloated all my friends that entire day that I was going to see Spider-Man. Oh, yes, you did. Yeah. I wish I still had those text messages. Ha! I get to meet Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I, was a little, I was a little snarky about it. Very. But then, you know, I go and I see the movie. I'm like, this movie's awesome. Yeah. And then they're like, and ladies and gentlemen, Tom Holland. And everybody's clapping. And then this old guy gets on the stage. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's not. And I turn over to my buddy Reggie who came with us to the show. And I was like, hey, where's Tom Holland? He's like, oh, no, that's that's, that's him. That's him. He's the director. I was like, I thought, I thought Spider-Man was going to be here. And he looked at me and was like, oh, my God, you were serious? <laughs> And I, I, uh, I felt real dumb that day. And the Q and A was awesome though. He was really cool. And then you got home and you texted me and you're like, I didn't meet Spider-Man. <laughs> and I was like, did you really expect to? I, I had hopes. I was, I was much, I was much more foolish in my younger years, but besides the point. So yeah, I saw, I saw Fright Night the first time in the theater with a director Q and A afterwards. Which is amazing. Yeah, and it was it was a really good experience. Like honestly, I really dug the movie. Yeah, and rewatching it for the podcast because that was the only time I had seen it was in the wow. theater, and then I rewatched it, and 
yeah, this movie's actually kind of a banger. I'm a little surprised it's not like I, I guess it's well loved. It made yes. it, it's made plenty of money back. It's a cult classic at this mm-hmm. point. But I'm surprised it's a lot not more like a mainstream kind of film. This seems like a really perfect Halloween movie. It is, and it's out every year. Like you were saying, you go to the video store and you see it on the shelf with the other videos. I mean, most of the streaming services, when it comes to Halloween time, it's there. It's, and it's usually just... this, it's usually Fright Night Two is what I've noticed. It's kind of like Creep Show Two. Yeah, you can find Creep Show Two on every streaming site, but you can never find the first one. You can if you want to pay for it. And it's like, I, it's like I'm I've got the DVD, I've got the VHS, so we're good. We yeah. don't need to pay for it. <laughs> and it's it's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting little movie, and it's a fun little story I get to tell when this movie comes up. Oh, boy. I can remember how much I laughed when you told me it was the director, not Spider-Man. I know, I know. And the heartbreak. <laughs> uh, but now let's talk about the actual movie at hand. Yes. Where Where do you want to start? We got we got movies, you know. We got the production, plot, story, all this fun stuff. Well, we should probably give them the plot in case you guys haven't seen Fright Night. Hey, this is your movie. It is. So Fright Night follows the story of Char- Charlie Brewster, mm-hmm. who is played by William Ragsdale, and he is kind of you know in this game of cat and mouse with his new neighbor, mm-hmm. uh, who goes by the name of Jerry Dandridge. Which you. The... Which you wouldn't really think of as a vampire, which goes with him trying to be in hiding. Yeah, and also looking like, you know, Chris Sarandon, it helps. Chris Sarandon in the 80s, wow. Right. And it's it's no wonder Amanda Bierce was, you know, easily... Just brought in. Yes. But uh, Jerry Dandrish moves in next door to Charlie Brewster, and he moves in with, I want to say he's a familiar. Yeah, yeah, some sort of zombie dude. yeah. He, yeah. He's there to do all of his bidding during the daytime and protect him. Mm-hmm. And Charlie happens to see that Jerry, you know, has a midnight snack one night. And it turns into, oh my god, the vampire next door is going to kill me. And mm. nobody believes me. Yep. He enlists the friend. He enlists the help of his couple of friends. Uh, his girlfriend and his buddy Evil, evil Ed. Ed. Or Evil for short. Or Evil. And they don't believe him. So he pulls in. Peter Vincent, played by Roddy McDowell, best character in this movie. And he's pretty great. He's pretty great. And yeah, and they, they attempt to defeat the vampire before they become children of the night. Ooh, spooky. It's a really simple story, to be honest. It is. But it it's really effective because it does enough to just get all the jokes and all the meaning going. Yeah. Like, for one thing, this is a lot different than the 80s movies we've seen this month. Granted, the other ones we saw were slasher flicks. Yeah. And this is our first supernatural. Supernatural one. But it's also a lot, mm, I want to say, lighter. It's at least more lighthearted yeah. than the other ones. It's not very, you know, down and, and dumpy. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, all these people are getting bloody chunks cut out of them. No, this movie is meant to be a good time. Yeah, it, it's meant to, you know, be a fun ride. Yeah. But... It feels like there's something under the surface of this movie, at least to me, because I noticed watching it, there's there's a lot of, like, discussion going on about, like, certain things that seem to, to imply there's there's deeper meaning going on. I was wondering if you caught on to anything. Well, would you like to relay what you think were the undertones that you were picking up on? Something about 
like std culture and or sorry stds and like the dangers of sex because um we at the beginning charlie and i oh, sorry i forgot amy. amy thank you uh charlie and amy are making out and he's like hey we've been going steady for a year are we gonna yeah we're gonna do this and she was like no and it's a whole thing but that's kind of a theme throughout the movie amy gets seduced by mm. jerry dandridge yeah and it's very sexualized yeah. in the seduction and then once he reaches that boom she turns into a vampire yeah and it's like are they trying to relay the dangers of sex in in that way because it, it might just be a thing where it's like oh vampires are inherently you know seducers and and you're supposed to be sexy in a way and it's also a way of them you know bringing in their prey yeah and the thing Which is we've is, talked about in dracula where yeah. it was a, a major theme of seduction exactly and the thing here that i keep coming back is they're teenagers yeah and the sexualization there and also the time it was made yeah in, i feel like implies something where it's like vampirism is like this you know sexually transmitted disease thing going on here i mean it could i i didn't see that mm -hmm. on watching the the film because i think maybe i've seen it so much it's one of those things where you saw it really young and now trying to see it more and more and more it's like oh no it, this is just beautiful wallpaper i've it, seen it so many times it's solid gold yeah but yeah i can see where you're going where vampirism could be considered an std because you're seduced in by it, and then it's something that you mm -hmm. live with your entire life, or sadly for evil Ed, one night. Right. Hey, at the end he comes back. He does, and then he dies. You know. R.I.P. Evil. Exactly. But yeah, I was just curious if there was, like, anything else like that that you might have drawn onto, or... No, or maybe, I, I didn't maybe even did see you... that. Really? No. Well, is there something you did see that was underneath... that? Maybe a me the message of the movie, quote unquote. You got to be careful watching horror films at night. It'll give you ideas. <laughs> It'll give you ideas. It'll exactly. give you ideas. And yeah, it it is kind of funny for that one. Um, I mean, especially after, like you were saying, they have this fight that Charlie, you know, wants to go further, and Amy is kind of reserved, and she finally decides you know what, he's right, let me do this, let's do it tonight. And that's when Charlie sees Jerry for the first time. And they see him dragging a body into the house. A body, and then they see him and his familiar dragging the coffin into the basement, and you get that clip of Amy looking at the TV, and they're carrying the coffin to be buried on the moors. Mm -hmm. And she goes, so I suppose they're also crossing the moors, and he's just kind of like, you know, waving at her to, like, to be quiet, because he's just focusing. Mm -hmm. So I just love that... You know, he wants more, but never mind. We have a real-life horror movie playing outside of my window. That's more important at the moment. It's interesting. I wonder if it's something to do with, like, like the obsession, like, horror fans have with the the, the media or the or the medium or the genre. Or where you, you watch so much horror, you start picking up on things in real life and... It's is making, this really happening? Yeah. It's like, like your, your deep-seated fear of going camping because of uh, Friday the 13th. Well, that and you're also really clumsy. So I don't want you to be like, oh, hey, look at this cool machete and then whack. Or look at this gun or shotgun. Boom, gone. Yeah, totally. That's why. Huh. 
But, or know. I was gonna, you know, kind of compare it to when I thought my one of my neighbors, former neighbors, was a serial killer. Oh, that was a lovely episode of Boo's Paranoia Theater. I, come on, all the stuff I told you about that could have been one. Or he could have just worked late at night, and he was like, gets home, and he's like, I just want to hang out in my garage, you know, and and relax. I don't know. <sighs> There's but, something you know. not right there. Of course, but. What is right is the actors in this movie. Yes. And Brilliantly cast. Very well cast. I, I think the standout, at least what a lot of people I, I've seen who praise the film, they praise Roddy McDowell playing yeah. um, Peter Vincent, who is this TV, or he's this movie star from like a, the past generation who's in all these like vampire killer horror films. He was basically the Van Helsing of the Hammer films. That and the way that he runs his show is kind of like Elvira's Midnight Macabre that she used to run. Mm -hmm. Where that, That's literally the um, what they're taking inspiration from. It's like Elvira, Spanguli, yeah. um, so on and so forth. And, you know, Peter Vincent is a play on Vincent Price and Peter Cushing. Mm -hmm. And I know they did an article with him for one of like the monster magazines and he said that he really drew in for this character kind of like the Vincent Price, Peter Cushing, Boris Karloff, where they kind of played these similar characters. Yeah. I but mean, Peter his character Cushing has played, oh, God, man, Helsing, I don't know how many times. But he was saying that his character, Peter Vincent, was, you know, the poor bastard that got stuck playing the same role over and, and over, over and, and over. over. Not like the other guys where they kind of got to push the boundaries a little bit and be different people. They... they... They worked in the same genre a lot, but they were able to do more yeah. than one role in that same genre. Yeah. But it is it is interesting, because um, Roddy McDowell, I will say, is probably my favorite part of the movie. I love Peter Vincent. He's so... he A lot of the comedy yeah. comes from him. And a lot of, like, the... I think he has some of the best lines. He does. But I love Chris Sarandon. And that, that's the thing. Chris Sarandon, I don't know what happened to, to him, because he is, like on paper 100% leaning man potential and i feel like a lot of the movies people remember him for he plays the villain this princess bride um not nightmare before christmas oh, he's the hero in that yeah he not nightmare before <laughs> christmas but it, he's you know he's voicing yeah uh jack skellington but i was i was thinking about it you know because he's also in uh child's play yeah right um yes he's the hero there but I was so surprised. I'm like, wow, Chris Rain is, like, really good in this. Yeah. Why he... haven't I seen more movies he's been in? I don't know. I mean, with Nightmare Residuals alone, you could just kind of he, he, cruise on at, that. At this point, he probably is like, ah, I don't, I don't really need to do that much. Yeah, I mean, um, he has a theater background, so mm -hmm. he's been in the business for a long time. And when I was doing research for the movie, his vampire prosthetics that he was, you know, in for... A good majority of the movie. For, I mean, the last third act, he's in yeah. it a lot. Yeah. So what I learned was, since he had been, you know, in theater, he actually had practice, you know, putting on prosthetics and makeup. So he would help out his makeup artists. He oh. would He would put on, like, his fingers or he would help with, like, the face piece. So it's like Chris Sarandon's got a lot of different edges yeah. to him that we don't really know about. And it's really fascinating because when you say, oh, he has a theater background, and I'm like, that makes perfect sense. Because mm -hmm. there's there's the difference between theater acting and film acting. Yeah. Um, me and uh, my brother, we talked about this not too long ago. Mm -hmm. um, 
when we watched Yankee Doodle Dandy for the Film Odyssey podcast. What did you think about it? I know we're talking about <laughs> horror, but, um, but I, I know I, you hadn't seen it before. I, yeah, I hadn't seen Yankee Doodle Dandy before, and for, I guess, a spoiler for that episode, not really, because the conversation's actually pretty good. Yeah. But the whole movie was, like, it was a really sweet, fun, mm-hmm. like, nice movie. It was a nice movie. Yeah. But overall, I was like, okay, that it's pretty so-so acting. It's pretty, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Except James Cagney. Oh, that yeah. man is solid gold. Oh, yeah. He, if you want to see the epitome of an actor carrying a film mm-hmm. with his performance, watch Yankee Doodle Dandy. Because James Cagney is amazing. Carries so much dead weight, he had to have back problems after that movie. <laughs> Oh, but it was, it was an amazing performance. Yeah. And the, the whole movie was, like, pretty good. And I've had um, Yankee Doodle Dandy, the song, yes. stuck in my head for, like, a week. And, and the fact that, you know, you know James Cagney from, like, these gangster movies. A Public Enemy, which I legitimately love that movie. That's a really good movie. And then you see him, you know, transition into the singer where he's singing and dancing. And it's just like, wow, he can do it all. In bringing it back to Chris Sarandon, exactly. I know him the most as Prince Humperdinck from Princess Bride. Yes, where he's this slimy, cowardly mm-hmm. prince who talks a big game, but he's not—he's not a fighter. Mm-hmm. And here we have Chris Sarandon. He's still playing a villain, but he's more—he's suave. Yeah, he's very much in control. He's manipulative, and he—he he sells the performance of Jerry Dandridge really well it's very good and i grew up with him as jack skellington the pumpkin king Mm -hmm. where we only get his voice but we get him as this melancholy king that wants more than he currently has yeah so it's just you know all around every time you get a chris sarandon performance it's something completely different i've never seen a chris sarandon performance i I haven't enjoyed i haven't seen a whole hell of a lot which is weird but then we have the rest of the actors here well that and before we jump onto the rest of the actors We've also met Chris Sarandon. We did. We did. That was uh, one of the big gifts I uh, we went to for you, where you got to meet um, Chris Sarandon and, and... Ken Page from The Nightmare Before Christmas. So we got to meet Jack Skellington and Oogie Boogie. Yes. Um, we got to talk to him for, a, like, maybe five minutes. Yeah, he was a really nice guy. He, What is it? Um, uh, My sister's favorite movie is Princess Bride, and I yes. took um, her copy of the book, and I had him, like, sign it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, and it's a Jack Skellington event, right? Yeah, it's and a Nightmare Before Christmas event. It's a Nightmare Before event, yeah. Christmas event. And I'm there and he, and I hand him the book and he's like, big Princess Bride fan. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, eh, there's always one. And I was like, uh, I, I feel like he probably is a little annoyed that Princess Bride is the thing he's most known for, where he plays the slimy no, villain. No, he, he looked like he enjoyed he, having to sign that for you. I mean, yeah. He, and you were like, I promise it's my sisters. And I he's like, he's my... like, right, that's what they always say. Yeah, he, I, he did actually say that, and it was, it was good. But yeah, no, he's, he was a really nice guy. Very nice guy. Uh, he's really known for his voice. He, yeah. And hearing it in person just chills. It, it creeped you out because he just sounded like Jack Skellington. Yeah. Which people were like, oh, the Jack Skellington voice. Oh, he's putting on a performance. He's exaggerating. He's like, no. I, that's basically his speaking voice, yeah. which is creepy. Creepy, but amazing that it's not a show. It's himself. So it's kind of cool that, you know, he puts himself into these roles. Yeah. So at, let's get off of Chris Ryan because we praised him for like 20 minutes. I know, but we got to meet him. It was so cool. I understand. Well, there's other actors in this. There are. There are. And 
I just I just want to know because we have William Ragsdale, um, because he was Beers in Fright Night and... too. I think him and um, Roddy oh, McDowell they came back for Fright Night Part Two. Yeah, actually, um, Roddy McDowell loved playing Peter Vincent. He wanted to do a Fright a Fright Night Part Three. Oh man, I would have been so down for that. Yeah, uh, tragically the um, yeah. producer died and it basically it fell through so we never got roddy mcdowell roddy mcdowell wanted to make this like his franchise he loved playing the part and he's like even if the scripts are bad i love this character just just I send mean, it he I'll really made the character his own yeah like that that is something that's crazy because all the acting in here is like really good like granted uh stephen jeffries who plays evil ed mm-hmm. evil ed is kind of a grating character mm-hmm. at least for me but i think it's the point I don't know, cause, cause, I'll I, just I say love, it. I love Evil Ed. He's annoying. <sighs> He's like the annoying little brother that's constantly tagging around and poking at you. That's that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Evil Ed is everyone's annoying little brother, and Charlie is every um guy too nerdy to understand that girls like him, and is focused on something else other than the people that are actually caring about him yeah honest honestly i was really happy with a lot of the performances in this it was oh, a very yeah. good good show i mean even uh the one cop that goes to jerry's house when when charlie's like he's murdering <laughs> he people dresses down charlie mm-hmm. out, out front of um danbridge's house i laughed my tits off it was so <laughs> funny and that that goes to like the script and and the direction because um so Tom Holland, he was a screenwriter mm-hmm. for a, a long time before he ever made uh, made his directorial debut, which, which is this film, his yeah. first film he ever directed. Um, he got really famous for doing like Psycho Two yeah. was his Love uh, Psycho Two, Love Psycho Two, um, and I, Class of '84 or some 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 uh, yeah. weird films like that. Um, but then he got the idea for Fright Night, and he was like, "What if a kid saw a vampire next door?" Oh wait. I can't fill 90 pages of that. Eh, screw it. And literally, he had that idea, and then a year later, he was like, that's what the kid could have done. The obvious first choice in these dire situations. Go find Vincent Price to help you kill the vampire. Vincent Price, uh, Van Helsing. And then he basically wrote the whole script in like three weeks. That, and at the time, uh, I think, who was the studio that this came out of? Was it Uh, Paramount? Paramount? So Paramount at the time, they were working on a movie called Perfect and the Slugger's Wife. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen either of those films, yeah. but I guess at the time they thought, okay, these are going to be like our box office movies of the year. So who cares about the horror movie? Mm-hmm. So uh, Tom Holland said in an interview, it was amazing because they never bothered us. They never never questioned us. It's, it's really insane when a director gets creative control even accidental creative mm-hmm. control um a really a really famous example is uh, gremlins 2 yeah so gremlins comes out it's a giant success and then joe dante that the studio's like yo joe we want a sequel it'll make us so much money and joe dante's like i don't really want to like it, yeah i made a lot of money why don't we go do other things and they were like okay we'll give you complete 100 percent creative control of the film and final cut and he was like Oh, oh, I'm in. And that's why Gremlins 2 was awesome. Yeah, and to go back to this, you know, with the studio, a lot of studios not having faith in 
horror films, mm -hmm. this was the most financially successful film of the 85 summer. Yeah, it made three times its budget. It, the sequel got green lit, I think, before the first week was yeah, out. Yeah, and this one came in like right behind uh, Nightmare Before Elm Street 2. And it yeah. was just like neck and neck mm -hmm. that they came in. So it's like, horror does make the money. It's just it, more people need to believe in it. Well, the problem with horror as a, as a genre for a lot of studios um, is horror films make money, but they're not usually critically praised mm -hmm. and the thing is is studios like good good reviews they yeah. like good critical reviews because that is a, another end of marketing yeah because oh if it wins an award put that shit on the poster we can sell this dvds like come and buy this oscar-winning film or releasing in theaters in the double special blu-ray edition the mm -hmm. oscar-winning film or this film won fat 15 golden globes or whatever yeah they like that horror films don't usually do that um, but then you see the the loyalty and the praise of the horror community. It's like, man, I will stand out there and I will watch this movie that came out in 85 in the theaters. Yeah, it, I it's, mean, it's the um, Friday the 13th problem. Friday the 13th had always turned a profit. Yeah. Even the movies that performed poorly still made five times their budgets back because they were super cheap to make. People went to go see them. But Paramount hated the fact they had to make them. Yeah. Because they weren't really, like, critically good films. They weren't good movies. They just made money. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the the weekend gig you have to, to pay your phone bill. Mm -hmm. That's basically horror movies for a lot of studios. Now, that's changed. Like, A24 is making, like, art house horror films, really high-end hereditary Blum Blumhouse is basically reviving the Roger Corman model of, of filmmaking. Give a guy, like, a really low budget, and even if he makes a movie that's pretty good, which usually they are, Get Out was a Blumhouse production, uh, The Invisible Man was. I mean, The Invisible Man was amazing. It was very Flawless. good. It was a really good movie. That was your favorite movie in that year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was also the last movie we saw in theaters before the world shut down. Oh, that's right. And uh, it's it's just it's just a good it's just a good time, but what else is there? Um, so now I get, remember my point that I was getting to with Tom Holland and his creative control. <laughs> so, a lot of Tom Holland's legacy is tied up with Child's Play. Yeah. He's the guy who created Chucky, mm -hmm. and a lot of people kind of forget he made Fright Night, or Fright Night isn't held in the same revere as the to the Chucky series, which granted well, the Chucky series got significantly worse as they went on. Well, that and it became self-parody at a Lo certain point. Lost Boys also came out in the eighties too, so it turned into this thing of you know, well, we've got one great vampire movie and we've got another great vampire movie. They're not quite the same, but they're both vampires. So I think well, they kind of get the other thing is they both played into like the same market of like teenagers. Yeah, but like Fright Night as a horror comedy that's really kind of light in tone and lost boys uh appealed to teenage girls in a way that i think very few films are able to repeat a lot of attractive men in that movie there you go so i think that's probably why lost boys survived for so long as a more like mainstream 
um, noted film. It's just... But it's also a lot of fun, too. You have Oh, the, no, it's a very good film. You have the Frog Brothers that appeal to, you know... The, the, the two Corys. The two Corys, the, the younger kids, the younger guys in the 80s that were like, oh, cool, I, you know, maybe I don't want to be like the vampires, but I want to be like the Frog Brothers that are Sutherland's really... Sutherland's in that movie, too. Yeah. It's it, like young Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, and it, it's a really good, well-made movie, and I think that's the thing is when people think of, oh... 80s vampire flicks they think of the lost boys yeah because that was the probably the bigger hit the bigger cult film i mean you could also think of like some of the iconic scenes of them hanging beneath the bridge yeah oh yeah or it's like the, eating, eating eating um the noodles mm-hmm. and they turn into worms and it freaks out just uh, noodles david it's just noodles man but yeah and um but my thing here is do you think this is better than child's play the first one like, which do you think he his legacy should really be tied to? Because that's that's the hard one. That's the hard one. Um, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna be biased and say Fright Night because that's, I mean, they've both been a, a part of my life for a long time. Mm-hmm. But Chucky absolutely scared the shit out of me the first time I watched it. A lot of people who see Chucky as a kid just can't like move past being afraid of dolls. I've noticed. Yeah, I mean, I I watched Chucky. Like, when I was maybe 10 or 11, sleep over at my friend's house. We hadn't seen it before, and her older brother's like, oh, hey, yeah, you guys can watch this. So we the watched worst it. decision of your life. We didn't sleep the whole night. We were so afraid. <laughs> so, uh, Fright Night is going to be, I would think, Tom Holland's... Legacy. Legacy. Because, I mean, it just has so many layers to it. It's scary. It's funny. I would There's argue depth. it's a... It's a better it's a better ride than child's play i think child's play might be a better crafted movie but i feel fright night just has so much going on that it just i just dig it yeah it's good because again like we were saying it's a very simple story of Mm -hmm. the boy who cried wolf and we get jerry who's not only suave but he's after amy because she resembles somebody in his past that he Mm -hmm. lost which was his idea, by the way, Chris Sarandon. Oh, really? Yeah. That that always comes off as like a really tropey thing because this mm-hmm. movie deals a lot in like vampire tropes, yes. and it's they're handled in a way that it's like, yeah, yeah, this is a ba- by the numbers vampire movie, but it's a lot of fun because the movie's aware that it's a a trope, a trope. It's aware it's it's not playing it like, oh, it's parody. No. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this and make snarky comments about it no. and wink at the camera. It's like, no, we're playing it straight. The comedy just comes at these characters trying to do this. Yeah, especially when they decide to do the vampire test on Jerry. Mm-hmm. And it's the joke between uh, Peter Vincent, Amy, Evil, and Jerry. You know, oh, yeah, we're, we're doing this to appease Charlie, to kind of pull him away from the ledge. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to drink the holy water. And Jerry's like, is this really holy water? And Peter Vincent, you know, gives him the wink, like, no, it's just regular tap water. And they're kind of like, see, it's fine. It's good. He's this nice, normal guy. And then Peter we, Vincent sees he doesn't have a reflection. It's like, that's vampires. I've seen we, this movie. We I've pull back movie. to Dracula mm-hmm. with Van Helsing looking through the mirror. And he's not there. It's good. It's also a nice little, like, wink and nod to to that to, scene. to Van Helsing it's almost a shot it's almost like a, a, a matte shot of yeah, that he, same shot in Dracula yeah him looking through the compact mirror and him looking back at them and him looking back in the mirror probably one of the most famous like vampire shots you can mimic and I love that it 
progresses into uh, when they go to the, mm-hmm. the club. And this is when he has Amy seduced mm-hmm. and under his spell and they're dancing. And you just see, you know, mid-dance when they're going by the mirror. It's just her alone. And she'll look back at him and she'll look back at the mirror. I thought that scene was beautifully shot where she's just the club going is, by. The club is a fascinating scene. Also, yeah, that's how you get an R rating, boys. They are they are not dancing. They are they are getting to second base on that dance. Yeah, board. they are. And also, that club is still around. That's a wait. That's a real club. Well, I don't know if it was really a club back in the day, mm-hmm. but that building that it was shot in is still very much around. Mm-hmm. It's in downtown LA, and it is now a DSW shoe store. Really? Yeah. So. Huh. That was one of the places that I wanted to go to to photograph, but we didn't have time because at the recording of this, we're going to be going to Midsummer Scream this weekend. We are. Awaken the Spirit, so we're not going to have time to do a full-blown photo shoot for Fright Night, unfortunately. I'm very sad about Mm. that. But when I was doing my research, it is a DSW store, and uh, fortunately enough for Google Images, there's indoor shots, and yeah, you have the staircase coming down. Oh, that like the structure inside mm-hmm. still the same? Yeah, I thought they would have gutted a bunch no, of it. No, no, I got to show you the pictures afterwards. It's amazing. You have, you know, the aisles of shoes, which just look weird, but you've got the staircase, which is the star. Uh-huh. And then you also have the balcony when he first walks in and he's leaning over and he looks and finds them on the dance floor. Oh, that's I it so always it's still looked there. like a set to me. No, it was very much real and it's still oh, there. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I I okay, I got to let me see. Okay, so we're about uh, a, a good chunk in, yeah. and, I, and I feel like we're we we got to look a good look at this movie. Yeah. Do you have any comments you want to make before I hit you with the the final question, the hard question? Let's see, because I did a lot of location, sh- you know, research for this movie. Yeah, it's like your favorite part about doing it. It is. These. I love it. A lot of it was on. Um, what was it? Um, I think the Disney, like the Burbank backlot. Really? That's where Charlie and Jerry's houses are. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the movie that was shot right before them. So that was a reason why we couldn't go to the houses because... Those the, are those are actually sets. Those are actually sets. But um, the houses that we passed by going to Pasadena, they're like the historic, um, like the Victorian historic houses. I can't think oh, of what yeah, they're called. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in Old Pasadena. Yeah, like heading to Old Pasadena mm-hmm. off the freeway. That was originally the spot that they wanted to film the movies because those mm. houses have been there pff, forever. Yeah. But they didn't do it because of the noise from the freeway. That that makes a lot of sense. So that would speaking as somebody who's worked on mm-hmm. movies by freeways, f- no matter how quiet you think it is, you will always hear a car. I mean, I've worked sound for you in some of your films, and yeah, the slightest thing will pick up on that mic. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful. But I just thought it was cool that something that we see every day, or not every day, but you know, every once in a while when we go to Pasadena, that was originally intended it, to be. It was this close to being part of movie history. So close, but I mean, tons of things happen over there, and events, and I think other things have been shot there. So if yeah. if it comes to me, I'll I'll say the name of it because it is a cool place, and if you can visit it, mm-hmm. because I mean, those houses are not just beautiful they're historical it'd be a good little like walking tour oh yeah and they always do like spooky events there so if you're very much into that partake all right boo well i have my final question for you yes so this film 
It got a sequel three later, you know, Fright Night Part 2. Yeah. Unfortunately, because the producer died, the it never got a yeah. Part 3. But in 2011, it got a remake with mm-hmm. David Tennant playing the Peter Vincent role. Yeah. And that also got its own sequel. Yeah. And my understanding is that Mr. Tom Holland is actually writing a, fr- a new Fright Night film. Really? It's going to be a direct sequel to the 85 original because he had no part in the sequels. So he was writing a sequel and he wants to to make it. And my question is, do you think that this series could have sustained a longer film franchise if it was given the opportunity? Like as a like a Friday kind of series where we get a new one every two years, three. Like, well, Friday was every year. Yeah, Friday was every year. Um, Then this is probably a little bit more complicated. So maybe one every two years, three years, and we would have ended up with like ten of these. Do you think this could have sustained that kind of run? Or do you think we're the concept is probably only good for like a handful of movies? I mean, for me, I would love to see sequels of this movie. I, you know, I, I watched the sequels of Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. uh, Freddy, Scream. So even though they, you know, generally get bad as they go along, mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for the characters. So I will stick, you know, stick in and, you know, yeah. go through it. I think I would go along with a Fright Night franchise. Franchise, but in my head, I'm gonna know that it's never gonna be as good as the original. Yeah, and there's also that that um, constant is there's no such thing as a good horror sequel. I mean, it that's pretty much a meme, but that yeah. is a saying in like the horror movie community. Yeah, is most horror sequels generally have the downward trend. They don't get better as they keep going. Yeah. And I feel like Fright Night probably could have sustained another, like, two films out of it. Like, we, we I would, would not be surprised if, you know, the producer didn't pass. We would have gotten probably, like, four or five Fright Night films before, like, the 2000s. Yeah. But I don't know the quality of them because I've never seen Fright Night Part 2. So I don't actually know if it's good, bad. I've never seen Part 2. Really? Fright Night's your favorite movie and you've never seen Part 2? Haven't seen Part 2. It's just kind of like, again... You have have that internal horror movie fandom knowledge that it's probably bad? It's probably bad, but there's no Chris Sarandon. And it's just like... There's Roddy McDowell? There's Roddy McDowell and there's also Charlie in it. Mm -hmm. But... You know, you're moving on to new vampires, and I know in the second story, it is Jerry Dandridge's sister who is, you know, seeking revenge on Charlie for killing his brother, mm-hmm. so or her brother. So, I'm not really sure when I'll get around to seeing part two, but mm-hmm. if Tom Holland wants to make another one, I'll definitely be there. You're, you're behind that one all the way? And I think as, like, maybe an Easter egg or something, or just to kind of, like, you know, give it to the fans... He should bring back um, Chris Sarandon as, like, the Peter Vincent character. That would be the biggest flex. Mm-hmm. I would be so down with that. Because Chris Sarandon, like, he's he's an, an older guy now. Yeah. So he would probably play that role really well. And it would be a cute, like, wink nod to the audience for this one. It's like, oh, the villain from the first one is now the Peter Vincent role. Yeah, one. he's the hero now. Yeah, I would, I would dig it. Yeah, and I think, I'm pretty sure uh, Charlie's still around, too. Oh no, he's still yeah, he's still alive. He would he could come. Granted, he's now in his forties or fifties, yeah. so he wouldn't 
if Tom Holland wanted to make this a direct sequel where they're still like teenagers and stuff, it'd be well, recasted. Well, but no, him, no, I think it would be, you know, it would be good to have them all come back. Yeah, it could be something because again, we're we're creative people, so we're constantly coming up with like different <laughs> stories. Totally. But it could be something where Chris Sarandon is um, the Peter Vincent character. You could bring Charlie back, and then it could be his son that's seeing a vampire. Or there's some issue, so it it comes full circle. Mm-hmm that that you know he's been a fan of the horror culture and he can't really jump out of it now yeah it, it would be interesting it would be a fun it'd be a fun movie to see but with that boo i think that brings us to the end of our little little talk of fright night it does is that the end i well it's a vampire movie i don't think it's ever the end <laughs> but next week what are we watching well, I, I don't think I need to tell everybody, because it's not my pick, because you're ending our 80s horror month next week. I am, with probably one of my favorite uh, 80s movies. Uh, it's not, a good one. It's a real good one. It is American Werewolf in London, because vampires are cool, but werewolves are cooler. Uh, I beg to differ. This movie is... Look, American Werewolf in London is a great movie. Yes. I actually got to do a, a term paper on it for one of my um, film theory classes, and it was great. Um, so I'm a huge fan of this movie, and I can't wait to, to watch it next week. We actually got to meet the main actor for that one. I got my, uh, well, my we, film signed. We did, so we'll give you that story next week. But where can they find us if they want to find us? Uh, best place to find us is on our, well, anywhere where podcasts can be found. Anchor FM, which is our sponsor, mm-hmm. Spotify, Apple Podcast, all those and more. And you can also find us on our YouTube channel, In The Frame, where you can find this podcast, The Film Club, as well as our sister podcast, The Double Feature Podcast, which I do with my buddy David. We bring two films together, talk about them, compare and contrast them, say if they're good, they're bad. And it's generally a good time, and we get a little high and mighty sometimes and be real pretentious. And we also have the other podcast I'm just starting with my brother called The Film Odyssey, where we're going through the AFI Top 100, counting down to number one. So 100 to 1. And it's uh, very interesting, because my brother doesn't really watch movies. He's more into, like, reading and philosophy and, and that kind of stuff. And us, you can't pull us out of a movie theater. It's true. So it's a very interesting discussion, because so far, he's loved all the movies he's seen. There you go. But yeah, is there anything else we need to plug before we go? Well, there is our social media. So you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Film Club Podcast. And I think we're going to call it a day. All right, everybody. Good night. You're so cool, Brewster. All right, peace. (laughs) 